0: chapter 3 of part 4 of the idiot parts 3 and 4 by fyodor dostoevsky translated by eva m Martin. this librivox recording is in the public domain as a general rule old general ivolgin's paroxysms ended in smoke he had before this experienced fits of sudden fury but not very often because he was really a man of peaceful and kindly disposition he had tried hundreds of times to overcome the dissolute habits which he had contracted of late years he would suddenly remember that he was a father would be reconciled with his wife and shed genuine tears his feeling for nina alexandrovna amounted almost to adoration she had pardoned so much in silence and loved him still in spite of the state of degradation into which he had fallen but the general's struggles with his own weakness never lasted very long he was in his way an impetuous man and a quiet life of repentance in the bosom of his family soon became insupportable to him in the end he rebelled and flew into rages which he regretted perhaps even as he gave way to them but which were beyond his control he picked quarrels with every one began to hold forth eloquently exacted unlimited respect and at last disappeared from the house and sometimes did not return for a long time he had given up interfering in the affairs of his family for two years now and knew nothing about them but what he gathered from hearsay but on this occasion there was something more serious than usual every one seemed to know something but to be afraid to talk about it the general had turned up in the bosom of his family two or three days before but not as usual with the olive branch of peace in his hand not in the garb of penitence in which he was usually clad on such occasions but on the contrary in an uncommonly bad temper he had arrived in a quarrelsome mood pitching into every one he came across and talking about all sorts and kinds of subjects in the most unexpected manner so that it was impossible to discover what it was that was really putting him out at moments he would be apparently quite bright and happy but as a rule he would sit moody and thoughtful he would abruptly commence to hold forth about the epanchins about lebedeff or the prince and equally abruptly would stop short and refuse to speak another word answering all further questions with a stupid smile unconscious that he was smiling or that he had been asked a question the whole of the previous night he had spent tossing about and groaning and poor nina alexandrovna had been busy making cold compresses and warm fomentations and so on without being very clear how to apply them he had fallen asleep after a while but not for long and had awaked in a state of violent hypochondria which had ended in his quarrel with hippolyte and the solemn cursing of Pitson's establishment generally it was also observed during those two or three days that he was in a state of morbid self-esteem and was specially touchy on all points of honour colia insisted in discussing the matter with his mother that all this was but the outcome of abstinence from drink or perhaps of pining after lebedeff with whom up to this time the general had been upon terms of the greatest friendship but with whom for some reason or other he had quarrelled a few days since parting from him in great wrath there had also been a scene with the prince colia had asked an explanation of the latter but had been forced to conclude that he was not told the whole truth if hippolyte and nina alexandrovna had as gania suspected had some special conversation about the general's actions it was strange that the malicious youth whom gania had called a scandal-monger to his face had not allowed himself a similar satisfaction with kolya the fact is that probably hippolyte was not quite so black as gania painted him and it was hardly likely that he had informed nina alexandrovna of certain events of which we know for the mere pleasure of giving her pain we must never forget that human motives are generally far more complicated than we are apt to suppose and that we can very rarely accurately describe the motives of another it is much better for the writer as a rule to content himself with the bare statement of events and we shall take this line with regard to the catastrophe recorded above and shall state the remaining events connected with the general's trouble shortly because we feel that we have already given to this secondary character in our story more attention than we originally intended the course of events had marched in the following order when lebedeff returned in company with the general after their expedition to town a few days since for the purpose of investigation he brought the prince no information whatever if the latter had not himself been occupied with other thoughts and impressions at the time he must have observed that lebedeff not only was very uncommunicative but even appeared anxious to avoid him when the prince did give the matter a little attention he recalled the fact that during these days he had always found lebedeff to be in radiantly good spirits when they happened to meet and further that the general and lebedeff were always together the two friends did not seem ever to be parted for a moment occasionally the prince heard loud talking and laughing upstairs and once he detected the sound of a jolly soldier's song going on above and recognized the unmistakable bass of the general's voice but the sudden outbreak of song did not last and for an hour afterwards the animated sound of apparently drunken conversation continued to be heard from above at length there was the clearest evidence of a grand mutual embracing and some one burst into tears shortly after this however there was a violent but short-lived quarrel with loud talking on both sides all these days kolya had been in a state of great mental preoccupation muishkin was usually out all day and only came home late at night on his return he was invariably informed that kolya had been looking for him However, when they did meet, Kolya never had anything particular to tell him, excepting that he was highly dissatisfied with the general and his present condition of mind and behaviour. They drag each other about the place, he said, and get drunk together at the pub close by here, and quarrel in the street on the way home, and embrace one another after it, and don't seem to part for a moment. When the prince pointed out that there was nothing new about that, for that they had always behaved in this manner together, did not know what to say in fact he could not explain what it was that specially worried him just now about his father on the morning following the bacchanalian songs and quarrels recorded above as the prince stepped out of the house at about eleven o'clock the general suddenly appeared before him much agitated i have long sought the honour and opportunity of meeting you much esteemed lef Nikolaevich, he murmured pressing the prince's hand very hard almost painfully so long very long the prince begged him to step in and sit down no i will not sit down i am keeping you i see another time i think i may be permitted to congratulate you upon the realisation of your heart's best wishes is it not so what best wishes the prince blushed he thought as so many in his position do that nobody had seen heard noticed or understood anything Oh, be easy, sir, be easy. I shall not wound your tenderest feelings. I've been through it all myself, and I know well how unpleasant it is when an outsider sticks his nose in where he is not wanted. I experience this every morning. I came to speak to you about another matter, though, an important matter, a very important matter, Prince. The latter requested him to take a seat once more, and sat down himself. Well, just for one second, then— the fact is i came for advice of course i live now without any very practical objects in life but being full of self-respect in which quality the ordinary russian is so deficient as a rule and of activity i am desirous in a word prince of placing myself and my wife and children in a position of in fact i want advice the prince commended his aspirations with warmth quite so quite so but this is all mere nonsense i came here to speak of something quite different something very important prince and i have determined to come to you as to a man in whose sincerity and nobility of feeling i can trust like-like are you surprised at my words prince the prince was watching his guest if not with much surprise at all events with great attention and curiosity the old man was very pale every now and then his lips trembled and his hands seemed unable to rest quietly but continually moved from place to place he had twice already jumped up from his chair and sat down again without being in the least aware of it he would take up a book from the table and open it talking all the while look at the heading of a chapter shut it and put it back again seizing another immediately but holding it unopened in his hand and waving it in the air as he spoke But enough he cried suddenly i see i have been boring you with my-not in the least not in the least i assure you on the contrary i am listening most attentively and am anxious to guess prince i wish to place myself in a respectable position i wish to esteem myself and to-my dear sir a man of such noble aspirations is worthy of all esteem by virtue of those aspirations alone The prince brought out his copy-book sentence in the firm belief that it would produce a good effect. He felt instinctively that some such well-sounding humbug, brought out at the proper moment, would soothe the old man's feelings, and would be specially acceptable to such a man in such a position. At all hazards his guest must be dispatched with heart relieved and spirit comforted. That was the problem before the prince at this moment. The phrase flattered the general, touched him, and pleased him mightily. He immediately changed his tone and started off on a long and solemn explanation. But listen as he would, the prince could make neither head nor tail of it. The general spoke hotly and quickly for ten minutes. He spoke as though his words could not keep pace with his crowding thoughts. Tears stood in his eyes, and yet his speech was nothing but a collection of disconnected sentences, without beginning and without end a string of unexpected words and unexpected sentiments colliding with one another and jumping over one another as they burst from his lips enough he concluded at last you understand me and that is the great thing a heart like yours cannot help understanding the sufferings of another prince you are the ideal of generosity what are other men beside yourself but you are young accept my blessing my principal object is to beg you to fix an hour for a most important conversation that is my great hope prince my heart needs but a little friendship and sympathy and yet i cannot always find means to satisfy it but why not now i am ready to listen and-no no prince not now now is a dream and it is too too important it is to be the hour of fate to me my own hour our interview is not to be broken in upon by every chance comer every impertinent guest and there are plenty of such stupid impertinent fellows he bent over and whispered mysteriously with a funny frightened look on his face who are unworthy to tie your shoe prince i don't say mine mind you will understand me prince only you understand me prince no one else he doesn't understand me he is absolutely absolutely unable to sympathise the first qualification for understanding another is heart the prince was rather alarmed at all this and was obliged to end by appointing the same hour of the following day for the interview desired the general left him much comforted and far less agitated than when he had arrived at seven in the evening the prince sent to request lebedeff to pay him a visit lebedeff came at once and esteemed it an honour as he observed the instant he entered the room he acted as though there had never been the slightest suspicion of the fact that he had systematically avoided the prince for the last three days he sat down on the edge of his chair smiling and making faces and rubbing his hands and looking as though he were in delighted expectation of hearing some important communication which had been long guessed by all the prince was instantly covered with confusion, for it appeared to be plain that everyone expected something of him, that everyone looked at him as though anxious to congratulate him, and greeted him with hints and smiles and knowing looks. Keller, for instance, had run into the house three times of late, just for a moment, and each time with the air of desiring to offer his congratulations. Kolya, too, in spite of his melancholy, had once or twice begun sentences in much the same strain of suggestion or insinuation the prince however immediately began with some show of annoyance to question lebedeff categorically as to the general's present condition and his opinion thereon he described the morning's interview in a few words everyone has his worries prince especially in these strange and troublous times of ours lebedeff replied dryly and with the air of a man disappointed of his reasonable expectations dear me what a philosopher you are laughed the prince philosophy is necessary sir very necessary in our day it is too much neglected as for me much esteemed prince i am sensible of having experienced the honour of your confidence in a certain matter up to a certain point but never beyond that point i do not for a moment complain lebedeff you seem to be angry for some reason said the prince not the least bit in the world esteemed and revered prince not the least bit in the world cried lebedeff solemnly with his hand upon his heart on the contrary i am too painfully aware that neither by my position in the world nor by my gifts of intellect and heart nor by my riches nor by any former conduct of mine have i in any way deserved your confidence which is far above my highest aspirations and hopes oh no prince i may serve you but only as your humble slave i am not angry oh no not angry pained perhaps but nothing more my dear lebedeff i-oh nothing more nothing more i was saying to myself but now i am quite unworthy of friendly relations with him say i but perhaps as landlord of this house i may at some future date in his good time receive information as to certain imminent and much-to-be-desired changes so saying lebedeff fixed the prince with his sharp little eyes still in hope that he would get his curiosity satisfied the prince looked back at him in amazement i don't understand what you are driving at he cried almost angrily and-and what an intriguer you are lebedeff he added bursting into a fit of genuine laughter Lebedeff followed suit at once, and it was clear from his radiant face that he considered his prospects of satisfaction immensely improved. "'And do you know,' the prince continued, "'I am amazed at your naive ways, Lebedeff. Don't be angry with me. Not only yours, everybody else's also. You are waiting to hear something from me at this very moment, with such simplicity, that I declare I feel quite ashamed of myself for having nothing whatever to tell you.' i swear to you solemnly that there is nothing to tell there can you take that in the prince laughed again lebedeff assumed an air of dignity it was true enough that he was sometimes naive to a degree in his curiosity but he was also an excessively cunning gentleman and the prince was almost converting him into an enemy by his repeated rebuffs the prince did not snub lebedeff's curiosity however because he felt any contempt for him but simply because the subject was too delicate to talk about only a few days before he had looked upon his own dreams almost as crimes but lebedeff considered the refusal as caused by personal dislike to himself and was hurt accordingly indeed there was at this moment a piece of news most interesting to the prince which lebedeff knew and even had wished to tell him but which he now kept obstinately to himself and what can i do for you esteemed prince since i am told you sent for me just now he said after a few moments silence oh it was about the general began the prince waking abruptly from the fit of musing which he too had indulged in and-and about the theft you told me of that is er about what theft oh come just as if you didn't understand Lukian timofeevich what are you up to i can't make you out the money the money sir the four hundred roubles that you lost that day you came and told me about it one morning and then went off to petersburg there now do you understand oh you mean the four hundred roubles said lebedeff dragging the words out just as though it had only just dawned upon him what the prince was talking about. "'Thanks very much, prince, for your kind interest. You do me too much honour. I found the money, long ago.' "'You found it! Thank God for that!' "'Your exclamation proves the generous sympathy of your nature, prince. For four hundred roubles to a struggling family man like myself, is no small matter.' i didn't mean that at least of course i'm glad for your sake too added the prince correcting himself but how did you find it very simple indeed i found it under the chair upon which my coat had hung so that it is clear the purse simply fell out of the pocket and on to the floor under the chair impossible why you told me yourself that you had searched every corner of the room how could you not have looked in the most likely place of all of course i looked there of course i did very much so i looked and scrambled about and felt for it and wouldn't believe it was not there and looked again and again it is always so in such cases one longs and expects to find a lost article one sees it is not there and the place is as bare as one's palm and yet one returns and looks again and again fifteen or twenty times likely enough oh quite so of course but how was it in your case i don't quite understand said the bewildered prince you say it wasn't there at first and that you searched the place thoroughly and yet it turned up on that very spot yes sir on that very spot the prince gazed strangely at lebedeff and the general he asked abruptly the the general how do you mean the general said lebedeff dubiously as though he had not taken in the drift of the prince's remark oh good heavens i mean what did the general say when the purse turned up under the chair you and he had searched for it together there hadn't you quite so together but the second time i thought better to say nothing about finding it i found it alone but why in the world and the money was it all there i opened the purse and counted it myself right to a single rouble i think you might have come and told me said the prince thoughtfully Oh, I didn't like to disturb you, Prince, in the midst of your private and doubtless most interesting personal reflections. Besides, I wanted to appear, myself, to have found nothing. I took the purse and opened it and counted the money and shut it and put it down again under the chair. What in the world for? Oh, just out of curiosity, said Lebedeff, rubbing his hands and sniggering. What? It's still there, then, is it? ever since the day before yesterday oh no you see i was half in hopes the general might find it because if i found it why should not he too observe an object lying before his very eyes i moved the chair several times so as to expose the purse to view but the general never saw it he is very absent just now evidently he talks and laughs and tells stories and suddenly flies into a rage with me goodness knows why Well, but have you taken the purse away now? No, it disappeared from under the chair in the night. Where is it now, then? Here, laughed Lebedeff at last, rising to his full height and looking pleasantly at the prince. Here, in the lining of my coat. Look, you can feel it for yourself, if you like. Sure enough, there was something sticking out of the front of the coat, something large, it certainly felt as though it might well be the purse fallen through a hole in the pocket into the lining. I took it out and had a look at it. It's all right. I've let it slip back into the lining now, as you see, and so I have been walking about ever since yesterday morning. It knocks against my legs when I walk along. Hmm, and you take no notice of it? Quite so. I take no notice of it. Ha, ha! And think of this, Prince— my pockets are always strong and whole and yet here in one night is a huge hole i know the phenomenon is unworthy of your notice but such is the case i examined the hole and i declare it actually looks as though it had been made with a penknife a most improbable contingency and-and the general ah very angry all day sir all yesterday and all to-day he shows decided bacchanalian predilections at one time and at another is tearful and sensitive but at any moment he is liable to paroxysms of such rage that i assure you prince i am quite alarmed i am not a military man you know yesterday we were sitting together in the tavern and the lining of my coat was quite accidentally of course sticking out right in front the general squinted at it and flew into a rage he never looks me quite in the face now unless he is very drunk or maudlin but yesterday he looked at me in such a way that a shiver went all down my back i intend to find the purse to-morrow but till then i am going to have another night of it with him what's the good of tormenting him like this cried the prince i don't torment him prince i don't indeed cried lebedeff hotly i love him my dear sir i esteem him and believe it or not i love him all the better for this business yes and value him more lebedeff said this so seriously that the prince quite lost his temper with him nonsense love him and torment him so why by the very fact that he put the purse prominently before you first under the chair and then in your lining he shows that he does not wish to deceive you, but is anxious to beg your forgiveness in this artless way. Do you hear? He is asking your pardon. He confides in the delicacy of your feelings and in your friendship for him. And you can allow yourself to humiliate so thoroughly honest a man. Thoroughly honest, quite so, prince, thoroughly honest, said Lebedeff, with flashing eyes. And only you, prince, could have found so very appropriate an expression i honour you for it prince very well that's settled i shall find the purse now and not to-morrow here i find it and take it out before your eyes and the money is all right take it prince and keep it till tomorrow, morrow will you to-morrow or next day i'll take it back again i think prince that the night after its disappearance it was buried under a bush in the garden so i believe what do you think of that well take care you don't tell him to his face that you have found the purse simply let him see that it is no longer in the lining of your coat and form his own conclusions do you think so had i not just better tell him i have found it and pretend i never guessed where it was no i don't think so said the prince thoughtfully it's too late for that that would be dangerous now no no better say nothing about it be nice with him you know but don't show him oh you know well enough i know prince of course i know but i am afraid i shall not carry it out for to do so one needs a heart like your own he is so very irritable just now and so proud at one moment he will embrace me and the next he flies out at me and sneers at me and then i stick the lining forward on purpose well au revoir prince i see i am keeping you and boring you too interfering with your most interesting private reflections now do be careful secrecy as before oh silence isn't the word softly softly but in spite of this conclusion to the episode the prince remained as puzzled as ever if not more so he awaited next morning's interview with the general most impatiently chapter three